Well, as you can tell, uh, it's Christmas again. It's hard to believe it came so fast. And every year we come together like this to celebrate our Savior's birth, to reflect on what it means for us and the world and to worship him. And each year when we do this, we rightly turn to the first-hand historical accounts that we see in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We listen to their retelling of the story, and we hear their perspectives on the birth, the incarnation, the nativity. So if you've been a Christian for a while and have uh, been coming along to services most of your life, you've probably heard the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth from just about every different angle there is. You've heard Mary's perspective as she trusted God and treasured all these things in her heart. You've heard Joseph's perspective as he struggled to grasp uh, his his virgin wife's pregnancy. You've uh, heard how the angels celebrated in the night sky and how the shepherds heard in the field and and were terrified. You've heard probably how the Magi came from afar to worship. You've probably even heard about Herod's evil reaction, wanting to destroy the newborn king to protect his legacy. In the Gospels, we're privileged to get insight from every character's perspective. We get a peek into their thinking and and their reaction to the miraculous event. So the, the, the texts of Christmas are well-worn, especially on Christmas Eve. We've heard them many times. But there's one perspective that we don't get. We get Mary's and Joseph's, the angels, the shepherds, the magi's, Herod's. But we don't get to hear from Jesus himself in the Gospels, what he thought at the moment of his incarnation. We don't get to hear what he was thinking as he came into the world, his perspective. Now, you may say that's, that's obvious, Gary. That's because he was a baby. He wasn't thinking a lot. Maybe he was thinking he was hot or cold or there's a bright light. But actually, there is one place in the scriptures that give us a peek that led us into Jesus' thoughts at the moment of his incarnation, or more specifically, just before the big moment, the night before Christmas, so to speak, the eve of Christmas, as the pre-incarnate Jesus stood in heaven, about to dive headlong into humanity, the writer of Hebrews tells us his thoughts, what he said, what he was thinking about, as he was about to be born into the world. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, I think this is what he was thinking, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, he's speaking to the Father, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scrolls of the book. It's amazing. Jesus' stated purpose for being born 
he says, is to take on a body, one that God has prepared for him so as to do the will of the Father. He came, and he knew he was coming, to live among us as one of us, but perfectly. To do the will of the Father in perfection, in pure obedience. This is the reason that he knew he was being born. The stated purpose of his life before he even entered in. Now, sometimes we think we know kind of why we were born. You know, we say things like, I was born for this. I'm having a cheeseburger. I'm like, yes, it's the purpose. And sometimes we think we know, you know, we take wild guesses about you know, our children's life purposes. I remember my daughter, Hannah, when she was little, she was amazing if you gave her a pen or a pencil and we're like, she's going to be an artist. And she's a pediatric echotech. But she's also a very good artist. Asa, when he was five years old, he was as big as a ninth grader. We were like, that guy was born to be a football player. And Andrew's raising him up in the way he should go. <laughs> but the truth is, we have no idea about our, kind of our exact purposes of what we're supposed to do, besides we know we're supposed to glorify God with our lives. Because we have no pre-birth conscious existence where we could choose to come into this world to achieve a, a certain task. But Jesus did. He knew what he was coming to do, to do the will of God, to live an obedient life. In fact, it gets even clearer as to his purpose as we read on. Look at verse 8 with me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus was born to sanctify us by his life. Jesus was born to do the will of the Father. To live the obedient life that we could never achieve because of our sin. One that's perfect and holy. And then he would give that holy life for us at the cross as a final perfect sacrifice in our place that we may be sanctified, made holy. He came, he was born to live a holy life and then give it to us, to give us his holiness. That's what his birth was about. That's what his life was about. That's what his death was about. That's the gift of Christmas. That's Christmas according to Jesus. And I just want us to reflect now for a few minutes on a couple of the realities of this incredible holiness gift, his holy life imparted to us. A couple of things that it means for us now. And the first one is simply this. It means deliverance from religion. This is the argument that's been made in the, in, in the context here of Hebrews. You see, the Israelites had been struggling religiously for hundreds of years, trying to be holy, 
trying to be clean and right before God so they could draw near to him and know him. So they were following these laws and keeping these rituals. And when they failed and sinned, they had a sacrificial system in which the blood of animals was given to atone for their sin so they could be right with God again. But it was never really enough. Look at verse 11 here. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It was always a temporary fix, like a Band-Aid on cancer, covered over, but it was never enough. They would sin, and there would be ritual and sacrifice to atone, and then they would sin again, and there would be more ritual and sacrifice. And of course, then they would sin even more. Sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. It was an endless, vicious cycle. And it never ultimately worked. The writer here says, this is what he says in verse 2. Look what he says. Would they not have ceased to be offered these sacrifices since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consequence or any consciousness of sin? If it had worked, they would have stopped making the sacrifice and had clean lives and clear consciences. But it never could do that. They could never stop. That's the burden of religion that weighs on all of us struggling with our sin over and over and over, trying to make up for it with good acts and sacrifices and priests and rituals, never knowing if we've done enough to make it things right with God, weighed down from guilt, condemned to this cycle. That's all religion, my friends, from Islam to Mormonism, to Catholicism, it's hopeless. It's never enough. Look at verse 3 and 4. But in these sacrifices, there's just a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Because there's this inner sinful heart that just keeps coming through. And you know, this isn't a problem just for the religious. This is for the atheist as well. Subconsciously, atheists are constantly trying to justify themselves and make themselves clean. Not with religious acts, but their good philanthropic actions they hope will kind of outweigh the bad. That's how they see themselves. It's just religion without God which is kind of pathetic. And they fail at it just like religious people do. Jesus came to put an end to all this hopelessness. He came to be the final perfect sacrifice to bring holiness. And he's the only one that could do it. You see, what God has always wanted from us is not ritual and sacrifice, but obedient lives to honor Him, given over to Him. And that's what Jesus, His Son, could offer for us and does offer to us. You see, an animal can't ultimately be sacrificed 
in our place because it can't live an obedient life. A goat or a bull could never do the will of God. My family, we, we have goats. We have five of them. And our favorite one is this little pygmy goat named Mr. Tumnus. Mr. Tumnus doesn't know the temptation of sin and evil. He doesn't struggle with morality and law. He doesn't feel bad if he eats all the goat food and none of the goats, other goats get any. He has no conscious, conscience or sense of spiritual relationship. He has no sin, a sense of the righteous judgment of God. He just eats stuff all day long, everything. But Jesus knew all these things because he entered in as one of us. He was tempted in every way, weighed with the full struggles and sufferings of this life, persecuted by Satan and this world. Yet he never sinned. He never acted in selfishness. He never rebelled. He did the will of the Father perfectly and thus had pure communion with the Father. Then he gave his life, his perfect union with the Father at the cross. And thus he ended religion. He fulfilled it. He finished it. As it says in verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Note the past tense. We have been sanctified. That's made holy. We've been made holy. Finally, once for all. Everything religion is about is done for us, to us, in us, by Him. What a Christmas gift. Delivered from the endless struggle of religion, delivered from the plague of guilt and the cycle of sin as we rest in him by faith. Have you received the gift of Christmas? Do you know this reality in your life? And you know there's something else that comes with this that's even better. And that is real relationship with God. Jesus came into this world and gave us his holiness, not only to deliver us from religion, but ultimately to deliver us to God, to bring us to God. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Jews were always trying to get near to God, to truly know him. But they couldn't get any closer than this big building called the temple with a priest that would make sacrifices, and then there was this big, giant, thick curtain. It's like 20 feet tall, as thick as a man's hand, that blocked them from the Holy of Holies, where, where the presence of God resided. 
Their sin and uncleanness kept them at a distance, separated. But when Jesus gave his perfect life on the cross in our place, we know from the Gospels, we, had it, we just had it read, what happened? That curtain that was all the way across town of the temple, when he took his last breath on the cross, what happened? That curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing complete and full access into the holy place. He opened the way so that we can draw near, so that we can enter the holy place by his blood. We can know God, creation to creator, child to father. We can have real relationship with God not some secondary connection through a priest, not some tenuous appeasement through ritual and and works, but a real intimate relationship with God that is pure and undefiled and real. This is Christmas according to Jesus. This is what he was contemplating. This is what he was thinking about on the night before he was born when he was about to dive from his glorious throne headlong into the humiliation and suffering of this world. He was thinking about how he was going to take on flesh like us, to do the will of the Father for us, so as to give his holy life to us in perfect sacrifice, so that we can be delivered from endless, hopeless religion and brought back into relationship with our God. And he did it. Merry Christmas. And here's the application I want us to leave with. Here's how we can hold this hope beyond today into every day, because guess what? The Jews struggled with remembering that. That's why he's writing Hebrews here, because they keep drifting back to old religion. Here's how we can hold on to it. Verse 21. And since we have a high, great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance and faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering for you who promises faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the habit, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice the let us, let us, let us. My friends, as Americans, we quite often think of our Christianity very individually. He saved me. He opened the way for me so that I can draw near. It's us. He took on a body and gave us his body to bring us into his body. A body I've prepared for you. One of the best gifts of Christmas is right here. This family, this holy family sanctified in Christ. Sin has always alienated us from God and from each other. Just look at the Garden of Eden. But that's what Jesus came to deal with it's always alienated us made us prone to drift away 
into religious forms that allow us to be self-justifying and, and condemn. That's why there's so many church splits and so many denominational schisms and so many people who think it's just fine to be isolated. But he took care of that when he took care of our sin and brought us into him, into his body. So we draw near together. We hold fast together. We stay encouraged together. Us. People say Christmas is all about family, and they're right. This family. So this year, let's honor Christmas all year long. Let us not neglect to meet together. Let us stir one another up to good love and good works. Let us hold fast our confession and hope. Let us draw near with true hearts full of faith. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of Christmas. We thank you for the joy of being able to draw near as your family together. Receive our praise now in song. Amen.